Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, but today is Groundhog's Day because we have entered the 15th day of election day. 15 days, and we still don't have all the results from the midterm elections, at least not in Arizona. And it doesn't like, look like we're going to get them anytime soon because Kerry Lake is refusing to concede the Arizona gubernatorial election. At least two counties in Arizona are refusing to certify the results, and they're all damn right to do it. Kerry Lake has referred to evidence, including firsthand witness accounts, the kind of accounts from poll watchers that we have played on this show, that there were not only shenanigans and irregularities, but statutory violations in the conduct of the election. An election that was overseen, by the way, by Katie Hobbs, the Arizona Secretary of State, who claims to have won the governorship. Some squishier Republicans are calling on Carrie Lake to concede, but I think she should take this as far as it can go, because this is not just sour grapes. This is not just some frivolous claim because the Republicans don't want to admit they lost. This is the second election in a row in which Arizona has had all sorts of problems with voting and counting and all the rest of it that just coincidentally all benefit the Democrats. And we cannot just let this go. Arizona will very likely decide the 2024 presidential election. We went through the election map the other day on this show. Even if all the right things break for the Republicans, Arizona is going to be key. We need to fight this fight over election integrity now, or we're very likely not going to be able to put up much of a fight on the much bigger race in two years. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Chad, who says, correction, Michael, Biden's biggest opponents are the chairs, not the chairs, the stairs and his sports coat. The chairs too. I'm not sure that he even can sit down and get up all that well. You make a good point. Biden's biggest opponent, it's not Trump. It's not DeSantis. It's not Buttigieg. It's not Kamala. It's not Newsom. It is himself. <laughs> he, he is the problem. The fault Dear Joe, dear Biden, lies not in our stars, but in ourselves and in himself, especially. He's got to protect himself. When you want to protect your home, you got to check out Ring. It's Thanksgiving time, baby. Right now, today, the day before Thanksgiving, it's the biggest travel day of the year. I know a lot of people are going to be traveling to see our loved ones very, very soon. So you might find yourself away from home. It's not just Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's New Year's. That's why you got to team up with Ring, okay? With Ring security products, you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are safe when you are not there. The Ring doorbell notifies you when guests or packages arrive. Ring's indoor cameras let you keep an eye on kids and pets while you're away. Ring alarm will alert you of any motion detection while the house is empty. Plus, if you add smart lighting around your home, you can turn lights on or off while you are away. Ring's home security products don't just help keep your home and family safe. They make perfect gifts for everybody on your list. Head on over to ring.com slash collections slash offers to find out how you can live less stressed this season with a ring product that is right for you. That's ring.com slash collections slash offers. The Arizona election issues, which are not fantasies, which are not just a coping mechanism, but which are very real and which have gone on for two elections in a row now, 
and have benefited Democrats. And in Arizona, where a lot of these issues are going on, even the Republicans who are playing a role in conducting the elections are declared never Trump Republicans who hate the MAGA candidates, who raise money to fight the MAGA candidates. And once is a coincidence, once is a fluke, twice, some people might want to call it a coincidence. I think what we're seeing here is a strategy, okay? And that's not the only impediment for Trump in 2024. Another major impediment for Trump is that the Supreme Court has just decided to allow the Democrats to look at his taxes. Trump's taxes have been an issue for six years now. The Democrats have been trying to get a hold of them. Donald Trump, just like any presidential candidate, has no obligation to release his tax returns. And because Trump is the first businessman to run for president in a very long time, uh, first guy who had not held political office before he became a presidential candidate. So his whole career was in business. He had a gigantic business empire. He made Mitt Romney look like a pauper, okay, when you look at Romney's business holdings compared to Trump's. And so obviously his taxes were going to be very complicated. Trump was under audit already. So he said, I'm not going to release my taxes. There's no reason for me to. If, if I release my taxes, I, a businessman with obviously a complicated tax history, and you, some random career politician who does not have very complicated taxes, then you're going to find a lot more dirt in my stuff than I'm going to be able to find in yours. Just That's just the nature of business. So he says, I'm not going to do it. And the Supreme Court has just decided no. Uh, they denied the Trump legal team's request that the taxes be withheld. The Congressional Committee will now take a look at this. They're going to have a pretty limited window to do this, though, because once the Republicans take over the House officially in January, they are going to shut that down. So we'll see if the Democrats can get their act together to dig through Trump's taxes in time to get anything worthwhile. But it's just a reminder, the Democrats are still trying to take Trump down. And it's one of the strongest arguments for Trump's candidacy in 2024 is they clearly view him as the big threat. That's why they're exhausting every legal mechanism, every political mechanism, every media mechanism to stop this guy from running. Okay, so if it really were the case that Trump is so easy to beat, he's the one Republican who can lose to Joe Biden. If that were really the case, then the Democrats would not be spending this much time and effort and money to, to stop his candidacy before it even really begins. Now, that's not the only challenge for Trump. There's another big challenge from Trump, this one coming from the Republican side, and that is that Ron DeSantis is doing great right now, okay? If the midterms taught us anything, it's don't necessarily trust the polls, but take it with a grain of salt, I guess. When you're looking at these polls, they are breaking for Ron DeSantis, okay? And this is big news. The neighborhood research and media poll, which was released yesterday, showed that 32% of respondents in Iowa. So this is the first state that holds its caucuses to determine the course of the primary. The very first state is saying that they are breaking for Ron DeSantis. 32% want DeSantis, 30% want Trump. This poll reflects a 23-point swing toward DeSantis from June. So you might say 32 to 30, who cares? They're in a dead heat. Sure, but DeSantis was way down. He was barely a blip back in June. And so you see now after the summer, after the fall, after the midterms, that kind of momentum for DeSantis means that DeSantis potentially could consolidate the party behind him. The conventional wisdom had been if Trump declares that he's running, he clears the field. That's even what some prospective candidates were banking on. That hasn't necessarily happened. DeSantis hasn't declared that he's running yet, but he's behaving as though he's going to run. 
Now, the second conventional wisdom, barring the first, is that Trump runs, but he's weakened. So then Ron DeSantis gets in, and then everybody gets in. The idea being, if someone is actually willing to challenge Trump's hegemony in the Republican Party, then everyone's going to do it. And you're going to get DeSantis and Haley and Tim Scott and Cruz and Hawley and Rand Paul and just everybody else. Everyone's going to jump in. But the thing about conventional wisdom is it's almost always wrong. The consensus view, almost always wrong. And so then you've got this third option that is, that is appearing to be more and more plausible, which is that Trump declares early, the party does not consolidate behind him. Ron DeSantis does say that he's going to run. And Ron DeSantis consolidates the party behind him. You've seen DeSantis taking the lead in polls in New Hampshire, taking the lead now in polls in Iowa. If he starts to take the lead in polls like South Carolina and Florida and other early states, all of a sudden, Trump's path to the nomination is looking much more in doubt. I don't put a lot of stock in these prognostications two years earlier. I've repeatedly said on this show, in 2014, no one would have guessed Trump. In 2010, no one would have guessed Romney. The people that were being talked about then were people that we now forget their names. Haley Barber, Mitch Daniels, Bobby Jindal, okay? So I'm just saying, Ron DeSantis is playing his cards absolutely perfectly. There is a path now. There is a, every day, it seems like a clearer path for Ron DeSantis to beat Donald Trump for the nomination, even in a head-to-head battle. That is something that, that very, very few people, if anybody, would have predicted even two or three months ago. Now, is that going to happen? I'm not convinced of that. Why? Because Trump has a secret weapon, and the secret weapon is the Democrats. <laughs> the, the best hope for Donald Trump right now is for the Democrats to keep going after him. Because, as I mentioned just five minutes ago, The more that the media and the Democrats focus their ire and their fire on Trump and not on DeSantis, that is a sign, and I think it's a pretty legit sign to Republican voters, that the liberal establishment considers Trump to be the real threat. If the establishment puts all its fire on Ron DeSantis, that's going to be a signal that they consider DeSantis to be the real threat. But they are putting their fire on Trump. You've got a Democrat congressman, Jamie Raskin, saying the Democrats will prosecute Donald Trump. If he is making this in part believing that this will somehow protect him from investigations or indictments, is is that accurate, do you think? No, it's absolutely wrong. Um, in fact, uh, the people who made that point most emphatically were his defenders in the Senate during the second impeachment trial who said that the proper way to deal with a former president who has engaged in criminality is to prosecute him rather than to impeach him if he's already left office. Now, of course, that contradicted more than two centuries of understanding that uh, a public official does not have to still be in office in order to be impeached, tried, and convicted. But in any event, everybody agreed that he could be tried. This contradicted centuries of America. Give me a break. No one has ever impeached a president after he's left office. The whole thing is insane. The the whole Democrat treatment of Donald Trump was completely unprecedented. But they're sending this signal. We're going after him. We're going to prosecute him. We're going to keep him off the ballot. We're going to do everything we can. Okay, I think Donald Trump should be encouraging that. I think that what the Democrats are doing to Donald Trump right now should be considered an in-kind contribution to the Trump campaign. 
The man is anti-fragile, to use a phrase from the author Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Okay, the man, some people, they can, they can withstand stuff. You know, they're, they're resilient, they're durable. Some people, the minute they face any adversity, they crack. Those people are fragile. And there, then there are some rare people who get stronger the more you attack them. And this would be a concept described by Taleb as anti-fragile. That is Trump, and that is especially Trump in 2024. The more the Democrats throw at him, the stronger he will seem and the stronger he will be. And that, that's what we've got to figure out, okay? When we're trying to hire somebody to be our president, we want the best guy for the job. And so we've got to consider a lot of different options. When you want the best guy for the job at your company, you've got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. I'm grateful for so many people in my life. I'm grateful for sweet little Elisa, grateful for the rest of my family. I'm very grateful for you. I'm also grateful for my colleagues, okay? We can be grateful for those who make our work lives easier. That is why it is so important to have the right people on your team. And if you want to hire those people for your business, you need ZipRecruiter. You can try it for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. ZipRecruiter uses powerful matching technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates, invite them to apply right out of those top choices. Additionally, ZipRecruiter's complete suite of tools makes it so easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So if you want a stress-free hiring process, trust me, you will be very thankful that you tried ZipRecruiter. Go to our special URL, try it right now for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. I assume people are looking forward to seeing family and having pumpkin pie Maybe watching a little football, cracking open a couple Coca-Colas, you know, having a nice relaxing time all together with your family, especially after these past two years where the political establishment has forced us not to see our families, not to get together, has upended so many of our traditions, so much of our way of life. Well, not so fast, you. Not so fast, you, because Dr. Fauci has something else in mind. The real world BA45 that has been circulating. And we know that that is really quite good. So you have immunological data and you have now clinical efficacy data. Everybody was asking the question, where's the clinical efficacy data? Now it has come out with the CDC MMWR this morning. So we know it's safe. We know that it is effective. So my message and my final message, maybe the final message I give you from this podium, <laughs> is that please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community. I urge you to visit vaccines.gov <laughs> to find the location where you can easily get an updated vaccine. And please do it as soon as possible. Thank you. You got to give the guy credit. He just doesn't give it up. He does not give it up. Don't now listen here, you. Before you go out to your Thanksgiving, make sure you take the 17th highly effective shot. So effective that you only need 75 more of them before it starts to seem a little bit effective. Maybe, probably not. Get your shot. Take the jab, sheep. 
what we are seeing from Dr. Fauci here, and, and the reporters were having a field day over this. I mean, even the conservatives obviously were the ones pushing back the most. But people have had it with Dr. Fauci, okay? Because Dr. Fauci has lied to us. He actually lied to us. Don't forget, he's gotten a lot of things wrong going back to the 1980s, and especially during COVID, he got a ton of stuff wrong about the safety of the vaccines, about the efficacy of the vaccines, right? Which even now, the NIH will admit was not totally right, not totally effective, okay? Uh, But he has also lied. He lied about his views of the masks. He went on TV and he said, don't wear masks, masks are dumb. Don't wear them. And then five seconds later, he said, okay, wear all the masks. You have to wear the masks. And when The reason I say it was a lie, because lies are intentional, is when he was asked to explain this contradiction, he said, well, at the time I thought there might be a shortage of masks and I wanted to save them for the public health people. Oh, so you you lied. You said something that that you believed was not true to get a political end that you wanted. That's called lying. And so people have had it with this guy, obviously. But what Dr. Fauci is demonstrating right now is a principle that those of us who are from New York or who have spent any time in New York are familiar with, uh, especially if you are from the Italian-American community. And it is a principle called deny till you die. <laughs> and that's what Fauci's doing. This guy, he could get caught, little, little baby Fauci could get caught with his hand in the cookie jar and mama Fauci could come, come into the kitchen and say, Anthony, what are you doing? I don't know why she sounds like sweet little Elisa. Anthony, there, are you having your cookies there? And he was like, no, mama, I'm not eating any cookies. She's like, I see your hand. I think, but it's very high pitched. I can't take it anymore. The mother would say, I see your hand in the cookie jar. And little baby Fauci would say, no, you don't. No, it's not in the cookie jar. And he would go to his grave maintaining that his hand was not in the cookie jar. He'll just keep up the act, okay? He is absolutely shameless. He, he does not care whatsoever. And so Dr. Fauci is going to peddle the dubious vaccines. He is going to peddle the preposterous, arbitrary health recommendations, like stand six feet away and wear the hanky over your face, until the end of time, or until we take power away from him. He's going to do it. If if you want to have a normal Thanksgiving and have a normal life and have a normal country, we've got to stop the Dr. Fauci's of the world from having power. Speaking of members of the Biden administration that I don't like very much, Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg has come out in the wake of a shooting in Colorado, which seemed to target people for being LGBT. Uh, Pete Buttigieg has come out and said he doesn't want conservatives' thoughts and prayers. There has always been a relationship between the social and political demonization of a group and that group's vulnerability to being physically attacked. And it is completely unacceptable. And I don't want to hear thoughts and prayers from somebody who has been actively singling out this group for hate, fear, and whether they say so or not, ultimately for violence. I don't want your thoughts and prayers, you evil conservatives, because you're the reason that this happened. You, you conservatives are the reason that this, this hateful, far-right, fascist, conservative right-winger shot up this gay club. Right, that's what Pete Buttigieg is telling you, which is very ironic because Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden have for years demonized 
conservatives. So if Pete Buttigieg's principle is that if you criticize a group or if you inveigh against a group, that you are then responsible for violence against that group, then Pete Buttigieg and especially Joe Biden would have a lot of blood on their hands. Joe Biden has spent the last six months calling parents terrorists, concerned parents are domestic terrorists, and said that conservatives are far-right fascist existential threats to our democracy. Okay? But furthermore, even the premise of Pete Buttigieg's whining is, and his, his really vicious attack on conservatives is false because the guy who shot up the club, according to attorneys, according to the news reports right now, was not some far-right MAGA hat wearing conservative guy. He was a member of the, LBG, the LGBT community. The guy who shot up the club, according to the attorneys, according to the news reports, it identifies as non-binary. So as usual, you know, I didn't report on this shooting right when it happened. Not because I don't care about the shooting. Obviously, any shooting is very, very sad. But because I just knew that the media reports were going to be BS in the, the first 24 hours, like they always are. On this show, we, we usually don't have knee-jerk reactions, right, to, to these sorts of news stories. And the reason for that is because after these big events that can be exploited by political activists, there is a ton of propaganda and you don't really know what's true and what's not. It's kind of like the war in Ukraine. No one has any idea what is actually happening in Ukraine because there's a ton of Russian propaganda and there's a ton of Western propaganda and a lot of it is BS. Don't forget, just a, a week or so ago, we, we were almost on the brink of World War III because of news reports that Russia fired a missile into Poland. And then it turned out it wasn't Russia that fired the missile. It was Ukraine that fired the missile. And so the, the idea that this would trigger Article 5 and we had to go bomb the Kremlin was preposterous. It was actually the opposite of reality. Well, same thing here. I just knew that these news reports were going to be dubious and they were going to be filled with a lot of propaganda. And that's what's happening now. Furthermore, though, furthermore, to Pete's point, what degree of pride does it take to say, I don't want your prayers? It just, it just takes a lot of pride. Pun unintended, but pride is the queen of all vices, okay? Pride is the deadliest of the seven deadly sins. And to say, I don't want your prayers is, is to say, I'll do it myself. I'm good enough in myself. I don't need your, I don't need the help of God. I just, we should always be praying. We should always be praying. We should always welcome prayers from anybody. We should welcome prayers from our worst enemies. We should pray for our worst enemies. We should, this is a very, very fallen world, okay? And the the only hope you've got is is to pray. And Pete Buttigieg doesn't get it. And the Democrats don't get it at all. And their their view of the world is just so backwards. And that that pride and that hubris, uh, I, I think, conceals for them the absurdity and the hypocrisy of their very statement. Conservatives are evil, fascist, terrible threats to our very democracy. They're terrorists. And also, if you ever criticize anybody, you're guilty of committing violence against them. No conservative criticisms, and, and they're legitimate criticisms, of the LGBT activist movement that pushes drag queen story hour in schools and tries to cut off little kids' genitals. None of them, none of the criticisms that the right makes of those people come anywhere close to what Joe Biden has said. When Joe Biden says, conservatives, by your very existence, you pose a threat to our entire country. You're terrorists. 
When, when, it doesn't even come close, okay? So I just don't want to hear it from Pete Buttigieg, but I don't want to hear anything from Pete Buttigieg as it so happens, all right? I just, the people who are running our country are not doing a good job. Things are chaotic. That's why you got to invest in gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Inflation continues to bedevil our economy. The Daily Wire reports that in less than two years, inflation has gone from 1.4% to 8.6%. As of May 2022, the price of gas was up nearly 49%. Price of meat, poultry, and fish all up about 14.2%. Price of used cars was up 16%. The current administration's irresponsible spending patterns, including the $1.9 trillion rescue plan, continue to exacerbate the problem. Now is not the time to have all your money tied up in the stock market. Do not let your savings wither away. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold. Birch Gold is giving out a free gold bar with any purchase made by December 22nd, but you must submit your claim by Black Friday. With almost 20 years of experience in converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you too. Do not sit around while the Fed devalues your hard-earned money. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Learn how you can convert at least part of your savings into a precious metals IRA. If you place an order by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Speaking of the sexual revolution, really bizarre story just happened here in my state of Tennessee. A Tennessee couple just made history by welcoming in uh, they're new twins. These twins are biologically not theirs, biologically adopted, but they weren't adopted in the normal way. They were adopted as frozen embryos, as frozen embryos that were conceived in 1992. So these babies were conceived in 1992, put in a freezer for 30 years, and then this couple in Tennessee adopted the embryos and gave birth to them. They are both, these little children are the couple's youngest kids and oldest kids. <laughs> these, these little babies are about as old as I am, actually, even though they're little babies. And the whole thing is really, really strange. The main takeaway here, I think, people are going to be debating the uh, bioethics of uh, embryo adoption, and I, I don't really know exactly what to think of embryo adoption. In a way, it seems quite wrong because you're separating the procreative act from the conjugal act. Uh, although it's not, obviously it was not the couple that did this, but the couple is involved in the implantation. And so that seems to me bioethically dubious. But on the other hand, you've got these frozen people that are just frozen in perpetuity. And then a, a couple comes in and says, we're going to we're going to actually allow you guys to have life and not just leave you frozen in perpetuity. That seems like a wonderful thing. And so everyone's going to be focused on the bioethics of, is embryo adoption okay? Is it not okay? Are there questions about it? Whatever. To me, that's a secondary point. I don't have an answer on that point yet, though I am somewhat cautious about it. The real takeaway here, I think, is that IVF is just absolutely awful. It's just absolutely unacceptable. I know a lot of people have used IVF. I know a lot of people have been tricked into using IVF. And I know a lot of people are grateful to IVF because their children who are walking around today exist because of IVF. And, and so I'm, I'm not asking you 
to, you know, regret your children or something like that. Obviously, the kids are a good end, and sometimes people engage in these things unwittingly and out of desperation and out of ignorance. But good ends don't justify immoral means, and I think the more we look into IVF, it's so clear this is immoral. Just look at those two little kids. Those little kids are real kids. They're real people. And they've been real people for 30 years in, a, in this frozen stasis in a freezer, okay? And there are lots and lots and lots of people like this. And that is the result. It is, frankly, the inevitable result of a regime that tolerates in vitro fertilization. And so if those two little kids are real people, then all those embryos and all those freezers are real people too. And for every two little kids they get born and adopted 30 years later, think of all the people, think of all the souls that are in those freezers. That is just unacceptable. And no, no desire to resolve infertility, which often, though not in all cases, but, but often can be resolved in other ways that are not so bioethically compromised. But that is, that is not it. Those are real kids, okay? If you doubted before that the, the souls on ice were real people, those are real kids. And so it's got to it's gotta lead us back to thinking, okay, why were these kids allowed to be in a freezer for 30 years to begin with? And, and should we really allow that to persist? I don't think so. Speaking of new people in our country, there is a, there is a bill up that not a lot of people are talking about because I think that the liberal establishment and the squish Republicans would rather just get this thing passed in the dead of night and not have anybody talk about it. But it's a big problem. It's called the Eagle Act. The Eagle Act is a green card giveaway for Democrats and Fortune 500 CEOs. Uh, this is being peddled by the Democrats, but eight Republicans have co-sponsored the bill. Uh, this includes uh, Representative Tom Emmer, who unfortunately, accidentally, because one guy voted incorrectly, mistakenly, uh, became the, the whip for the Republicans, beating out Jim Banks, who's actually a conservative. But you got eight Republicans co-sponsoring this bill, and, and what it does is it supercharges uh, citizenship incentives for Indians and Chinese nationals to take Fortune 500 white-collar careers over Americans, over Americans who have gone to college, who have probably taken out a lot of debt, maybe a quarter million dollars, maybe more than a quarter million dollars in debt. Now, immigrants are going to get a faster track to that. And who wins? Democrats win because immigrants are much more likely to vote for Democrats. I know, I know the Republicans always say, well, the immigrants, they're, they're Republicans, they just don't know it yet. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, we, we're still waiting on that. That still hasn't really quite happened. In certain small localities, sometimes immigrants break a little bit for Republicans, and usually that's just with the help of the Cubans, who happen to be extremely conservative. But generally speaking, no, the immigrants vote for Democrats. And so it's a big win for the Democrats electorally. It's a big win for the, the big corporations and for the Chamber of Commerce that doesn't care about anything really other than just boosting its profit margins a little bit. But it's a big loss for the country, okay? The, the country has a responsibility. Politicians have a responsibility to prioritize the citizens of the country. They have a responsibility to prioritize their constituents over foreigners, over very wealthy, influential CEOs over, over all sorts of other vested interests, okay? Over the Democrats trying to rig the elections. They have a responsibility to Americans, okay? A country is about more than just GDP. A country is about more than just quarterly profits from a handful of corporations. A country is about more 
than just an idea, meaning that the country is really just an idea floating around the whole globe. No, a country is a real place with real people, with real borders, with real geography, with real traditions, with a real way of life, okay? And, and uh, it shows you how tough this issue is because even the Republicans totally squish on immigration. The vast majority of Americans want to drastically reduce all immigration, legal and illegal, because it's just insanely high. Three million people a year is just crazy. It's the largest movement of human beings ever in recorded history over the last 60 years into the United States. And so the problem is the Democrats want much, much more of it because it gives them an advantage. And the Republicans also kind of want more of it because their donors demand it. And so what you're left with is the toughest immigration position that we get, even from the most hardline immigration hawks at the real top level of politics, is illegal, bad, legal, good. Illegal immigration is bad, but legal immigration is good. So what do they do? They just change the law to flood the country with legal immigrants. But the effect of disruption, of problems of assimilation, of suppressing wages, of taking jobs, it's all all the same. You get the, the exact same issue there. And so what are we going to do about it? It just shows you when even a Republican, when even a conservative wants to go in and fight the system, he's got to fight a lot more than just Joe Biden and some Democrats. He's got to fight the whole system. Now, even though old Joe and his posse are trying to gaslight you into believing that inflation is made up, never heard that word before until 2022. We all know that's not true. Inflation is here. It's very real. You don't need me to tell you that. What you do need me to tell you, however, is that I've got one neat treat trick to uh, beat inflation this year, and that would be starting this Friday for a limited time. We've got a Black Friday deal, 50% off all new Daily Wire Plus memberships and gift memberships. Save big. If you are a member this Friday, you will be able to watch the first two episodes of Jordan Peterson's brand new series, Exodus, as well as Logos and Literacy and Genesis with a brand new introduction. This will make a fantastic gift for your family your friends, and for yourself too. Perhaps the greatest gift of all is that your membership allows us to continue building the future that you want to see. 2022 is big, but 2023 will be huge. So come join us. Get 50% off your new Daily Wire Plus membership starting this Friday, dailywire.com slash subscribe. You do not want to miss it. Finally, finally, we've arrived at my favorite time of the week. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so we, we wanted to do it on Wednesday. The Mailbag. The Mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles to get 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hey, Michael. My question this week is, why don't you like soccer? I mean, it really seems like a great equalizer. You don't really have to have a lot of resources to get started as long as you're willing to practice and work hard and, of of course, have the athletic ability. But with a little drive and perseverance, you can really get good at it. And um, you don't have to have a ton of money to get started. Honestly, it sounds like the great American dream. It kind of mirrors capitalism, to be honest. Um, So what's your beef? That is my beef. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that what you just described is my beef. Specifically, the first thing you said, you said, it's a great equalizer. I'm a conservative, so I don't like everything to just be totally equal and flattened. I'm a conservative. I like order. I like nuance. I like decoration. I like hierarchy. I like, I like variations of skill. I like complexity. I don't want everything to be totally flattened down where, you know, you, you compare a sport like baseball extremely complex. Most people could not tell you what the infield fly rule means. And you take a sport like soccer, not complex at all. You take a sport like polo, extremely complex. Soccer, not complex at all. 
I don't want, I, I, I don't think that we should be encouraging sports that any three-year-old can play. Okay. I think that we should be encouraging in civilization things that are difficult and complex and hard to understand and require different types of athletic ability at every different position for that matter. And, you know, I, I don't, necessarily think it should be the sort of sport that you're totally priced out of ever playing, but it should involve stuff, you know. You should have to have a real baseball diamond, all right? And uh, that means that we're going to need to encourage some charity from the community. When I was growing up in my town, there wasn't a particularly wealthy town, but there was a rich guy who donated a lot of money, and we got a really beautiful baseball diamond. That's I love all that sort of stuff. If I were a lib, I would love soccer. I'm not a lib. Next question. Hi, Michael. Let me start off by saying that I love the show. I came for Ben, and I stayed for Walsh and Knowles. I'm not a hugely religious guy, but after having my children, I am firmly against abortion. My question is this. My wife, when she was 16, had an abortion. She was young, dumb, you know, the girl. The issue is every time I try to speak to her about it, about abortion in general, she feels like I am judging her or attacking her, which I truly believe it's her own guilt that she is feeling and she's judging herself. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. How or should I try to talk to her about it or should I just keep my thoughts to myself on abortion? Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. It obviously is her own guilt. And it's such a preposterous trick. Women sometimes do this where if they'll do something that is very bad, and then if you point this out, you know, or suggest maybe, you know, you shouldn't do that, or whatever, they'll say, you're attacking me. Stop attacking me. And then they'll sort of try to evade the issue or try to invert the situation. But no, it's obviously her own conscience that is nagging at her. And so I don't think you should, you know, burn her at the stake or anything like that. But nor should you allow yourself to be cowed into pretending that infanticide is okay. Plenty of people have had abortions. Plenty and plenty of people have had abortions. Okay. I know many people and I know, uh, I have family members who've had abortions, you know, it's, and it's really awful. And some of them have come to regret them and some of them haven't come to, to regret them consciously at least. Uh, but people fall into it. It's very easy to fall prey to that. It's very easy to fall prey to temptation. The only way though, that she's going to have solace from it is to, uh, repent. You know, the first step on the road to recovery is admitting you have a problem. And so you've got to do that. And I would recommend sacramental confession. Uh, I, I, th- I think uh, it is, I, I believe there is a sacrament that was instituted by our Lord on this earth, uh, which uh, gives priests the power to bind and uh, loose and to retain sins and to forgive sins. And I think that even if you don't believe in the spiritual efficacy of the sacrament of confession, as I do, but even if you don't believe in it, the psychological effects of that are amazing when you actually hear someone saying, in the person of Christ, I absolve you of your sins. That really lifts a huge burden off of people. And people, it's amazing with confession because even practicing Catholics, myself included, we don't want to go to confession usually because we say, oh, it's just so embarrassing. I've got to confess my sins to a priest. Oh, it's just so, you really dread the whole thing. And then you go and the priest has heard everything before. The priest has heard abortions before. Okay, I promise you that. And, and he says, okay, I absolve you of your sins. Say, oh, what a burden. (laughs) Why have I been carrying that around for weeks and weeks? Or in the case of your wife, years and years and years. 
tell her to do it. She's not, she's not going to feel any better by, by denying the issue. Next question. Hey, Michael, it's me again. Um, yeah, look, I've been having a hard time with a friend of mine. I see the way he treats his girlfriend and I'm just not sure if I should say something about it. It, it honestly makes me physically uncomfortable and I don't know, I just generally feel awful for her. So uh, I know these situations are tricky and I'm just not sure if it's my business or if I should look the other way. So I don't know, here it goes. Um, my friend always lets his girl drive the car when they're together. <laughs> I mean, what, what should I do? My gut tells me he's either a closet homosexual or he's forcing her to be his like private chauffeur, and neither of which is in line with my king energy philosophy. Yeah. <sighs> is it is it okay to be in a relationship and let the women drive? I would love to hear your opinion on this. Also, hypothetically, if it turns out that my buddy bats for the other team, or I don't know, he's like a male feminist or something, how long should I give it before I let her ride shotgun with an absolute <laughs> boss? Sincerely, Nick. Nick, I should have recognized your voice. Nick, good to hear from you. It's a good question, actually. Uh, it is. You, you should confront your friend about this. You should. This is disordered. It is disordered for the man to have his wife drive the car. I mean, maybe, you know, if the man has had one too many Coca-Colas at dinner, then it's very good for the wife to drive the car. But as a regular thing, it, that is wrong. It is disordered. And you should... You should recognize, as did uh, one of the, in the early season of The Crown, you know, uh, one of the uh, head butlers at, at uh, the palace tells the queen, you know, it's, it's in the little things that the rot begins. So it's in those little things. Don't, you can't, can't have that. All right. Tell, sit your friend down. Have a talk with him. Next question. Hello, Smokey Mike. This is Julia, your number one fangirl. Thank you so much for the tough love a couple weeks ago. Since then, I've tried to reorder my interests to more age-appropriate content. One TV show that I've tried watching is The Crown. It was suggested to me by a friend, and he is very obsessed with His Majesty King Charles III. And that got me wondering, why are so many conservatives supportive of these liberal trains wrecks in Great Britain. Now, I understand the importance of monarchy. It can be an imperfect symbol of the heavenly kingdom. I also understand the importance of tradition, especially as a traditional Catholic myself. But I don't understand why so many conservatives would support the British monarchy, since they just seem like glorified Kardashians to me, who are a part of a church that was founded on divorce. So why would we support them? Thanks. Love to hear your answer. Great, great question. Uh, the, the real blunt answer to this is that we would support the institution for the British, you know, the British monarchy for the British people. And then we would, of course, support uh, Franz, the Duke of Bavaria, or because he is childless, his brother Maximilian, or his daughter Sophie, or more likely the, the young heir to the House of Wittelsbach and the Jacobite line of succession, Prince Joseph Wenzel of Liechtenstein, to come in, land in Scotland in a new Jacobite rising, and uh, depose the, the Windsors, the, Sa the Saxe-Coburg uh, House, kick them out, and then take over and reinstitute a sort of uh, stable and proper uh, family in, in the throne. Uh, but assuming that's not going to happen anytime soon, why support these? If you support the monarchy in Britain, why support these people who are just 
such a train wreck. Well, I would say, I, I am also watching this new season of The Crown. It focuses on the 90s, which was the worst decade for these people. All of the royal kids got divorced, and there were all these scandals, and you know, you had you had like some pool boy sucking the toes of of one of the duchesses on paparazzi photos, and you had Princess Diana, you know, going out on all sorts of dates, and you had Charles talking about wanting to live in his mistress's trousers, and it was just, and that was before even a lot of the Prince Andrew stuff came out later with Jeffrey Epstein, and it was just a very, very bad decade. It it was uh, one of those years, I think it was 92, the, the queen referred to as her anus horribilis, That that shows you how little emotion the queen would show in public is even when she was lamenting her true misfortune, she would speak in Latin. (laughs) And uh, so that was a particularly bad time. They've kind of leveled off a little bit now. But but why? Why would we tolerate these people? One, I think that uh, King Charles III actually has a kind of deep sort of conservatism to him. Yes, he's taken to weird flights of fancy. Yes, he's got all this environmentalist stuff. Yes, he, he has palled around with Klaus Schwab. Yeah, I'm, I'm not denying any of the problems with him. But he does, he's not a leftist, okay? You know, the man who sort of talks with a completely locked jaw and he dresses like he's from the 17th century. And he does, you know, he's not like a purple hair who's about to go burn a bra down in, in downtown. Um, and also because if you support that institution as a unifying and stabilizing institution for the country and for the commonwealth, then you support it no matter who's in the seat. You know, it's, it's a, a similar, similar thing with the Catholics. You know, the Catholics recognize the supreme pontiff, even if there is a bad pope who happens to be in the chair of Peter. And there have been plenty of bad, bad popes. Dante puts a couple of popes in hell, okay? So uh, that has happened. But if you support the institution, you support the institution. That's that. Okay, before we uh, get to the, the member block, let's get to a, an OG written mailbag question. Girl advice from Alan. Hello, Michael. I've had a good friend who's a girl. She's both sweet and conservative. I've not seen her in person in two years. However, we still text on a regular basis. I want to ask her out, but I'm not quite sure how to go about that. I really enjoyed your expert panel from last week and all the women said to be confident and tall. <laughs> yeah, I'm over six feet. Good. However, this does scare me a bit. Any advice would be great. Well, I would need a little more information. Are you, do you live near this woman? You say you haven't seen her in two years. You text a lot, but then you said you want to ask her out. So the first part makes me think you don't live near her. The second part makes me think you do live near her. I, either way, Yes. You should either ask her out or stop texting her. It's really weird for single men, for a single man to text a single woman regularly for two years and not go on a date. That's really weird. So yeah, ask her out. Don't, none of this virtual parasocial kind of stuff. Do it. You know, put up or shut up. Let's, let's go. Piss or get off the pot. I don't know. How many more... How many more uh, idioms do I need to, to recite? Of course, you should, you should ask her out. That's normal. It's good for men and women to be attracted to each other and to go on dates and to get married and have lots of kids. It is not normal to remain in this permanent state of, teehee, hey, you up? You know, hey, how are you doing? And that's weird because then you're, you're, you're not in a relationship with a woman. You're in a relationship with a piece of technology. And that's, that's no good. That's no good. At that, at that point, just go date a robot. All right, the rest of the show continues now. We have a very good friend of mine coming on the show today. 
to talk about a new documentary and one of the biggest, biggest political issues in America, where probably some of the most important political fights are taking place. That would be at the schools. The rest of the show continues now. If you are not a member, click the link in the description and join us.